Scripture reading this evening will be from Mark chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. In the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that's on page 847. Mark 11, 8 through 10. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. I don't know that there's anybody I'd rather talk about than Jesus. As a matter of fact, when there's an opportunity to preach or to teach from God's word, Jesus ought to be where we go as fast as we can because the world needs to know more about him. The world needs to know more about who he is and what he's like. As we begin this morning in our study, this is the second half of the study, if you're joining us this evening, we've been talking about what Jesus is really like from the gospel of Mark. The book of Mark has 16 chapters, and we're just taking one passage out of each one of those 16 chapters and looking at pictures of Jesus and what the scriptures tell us about him. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we learned this morning that he's a man of prayer. Nobody ever prayed like Jesus. In Mark 2, verse 17, we learned that he's a man of logic. Everything he does makes sense. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance, he said, just like a doctor only takes care of sick people, not people who are well. Jesus is logical in how he treats us. In Mark 3, verses 34 and 35, Jesus is a man of impartiality. When his family came and tried to get him to stop teaching and come out and spend time with them, he said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of God. Those are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. Jesus is impartial. He's all about those who do the will of God. They're his family. In Mark chapter four, verse 41, he's a man of power. Jesus woke up and spoke to a storm. He said, peace be still. And the disciples were greatly afraid. They said, who can this be that even the winds and the waves obey him? When you look and ask the question, what's Jesus really like? Jesus is profound and amazing in so many different ways. In Mark chapter five, verse 19, he's our dearest friend. He told the demoniac who'd been healed to go home to his friends and tell them how great the Lord had been to him and how many things he'd done for him. In Mark chapter six, verse 50, Jesus is a man of peace. He's a man of peace. He's powerful in Mark chapter four, but he's a man who walks on the waters of our lives. He walks on the waves in Mark chapter six. In Mark chapter seven, verse 37, Jesus is a man of majesty. Behold, he has done all things well, they said. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Everything Jesus did was done as well as it could be done. He did everything to the nth degree, to the greatest extent possible. Jesus is a man of majesty. And in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, he's a man of proper values. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, the Lord asked. When we ask about what Jesus is really like, we ought to help our friends and our neighbors in the world, and we ought to reflect ourselves on the fact that this is the Savior we follow. This is the Son of God that God has sent to the world as a gift to bless us and to help us and to reconcile us to God. We need to take what the Scriptures say about Jesus into our hearts and ponder these things every day of our, of our lives. 
As we begin this evening, let's start in Mark chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 9, verse 1, and we're going to continue answering the question, what is Jesus really like? Second half of this morning's lesson. Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus is the king. What's he like? He's a king. When we talk about Jesus, he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just somebody that was nice to people. Jesus has authority. He is a king. He says this to his hearers in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. Jesus came to be a king. He came to be a ransom for our souls. He came to save us, but he came to claim authority. And that's exactly what he's done. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. He's a king and he wants to be the king of your life. And the challenge that you and I have right now, today, the challenge is this. You and I must give Jesus permission to lead because he's not going to lead you if you don't want to. He's going to let you live how you want to live. He did ask the question, what's it going to profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? But he's going to let you live how you would like to live. But you can give him permission to, li- to be your king. You give him permission to lead, lead you and you can follow him because that's what he wants from your life. He's got all authority. And everybody, every knee, every tongue should bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, as we just sang and kids sing a little while ago. He's a king. Brothers and sisters and friends, the church is not a democracy. It never has been a democracy. It is not a constitutional republic. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ is a monarchy and Jesus is its head. He is its king. We submit to his authority. We submit to his word. We let what he has taught us be our rule and our guide and our authority for all things that matter in life and godliness. We need to submit to Jesus who claimed to be the king of his kingdom. In Mark chapter 10, look in your Bibles there, verse 45, what's Jesus really like? Not only is he a king, but this is really profound. He's a king, and yet at the same time, he's the servant of all. He came to serve, and he came to serve everybody. It's amazing the way Jesus thought of himself. He is God in the flesh, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. And yet this is what he said about himself. In Mark chapter 10 verse 45, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus has the cross in mind as he speaks those words, giving his life as a ransom for many. Oftentimes we take the first part of the verse and we focus on the serving aspect, but the way in which Jesus served everybody was by going willingly to the cross for us. He made the decision, the deliberate decision to become the sacrifice that we needed so that our sins could be taken away, so that we could be ransomed from our sin. So this king, this God who came to earth and lived as a man, he came and he humbled himself and he said, 
I've come not to be served, but to serve. And you know, Jesus served in a lot of other ways besides going to the cross. He washed those apostles' dirty feet in John 13. Jesus touched lepers and he spoke kindly to people who had just lost their children. Jesus served and was gentle and was meek and lowly. And so he says to you and to me and to everybody, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I came to serve, not to be served. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and I I am meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He came came to serve, not to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. He's the servant of all. What a savior God has sent for us. Look at Mark chapter 11, the passage that Eric read just a moment ago. When we think about what Jesus is really like, he's a king, he's a servant. And in Mark chapter 11, the scripture tells us that he is a man of principle. Principle. I wish more politicians had principles that they would stand by. Whatever their convictions, whatever their values, whatever their political positions, I wish they would stand on principle. I really, that's just me. And no matter what side of the aisle they are, I wish that there were principles that people would just live by. Regardless of the consequences, regardless of what happens, this is who I am, this is who I've chosen to be, regardless of whether people praise me or whether people reject me, this is who I am. That's the kind of person Jesus is. Let me watch it, let me show you, watch this. In Matthew, excuse me, in Mark chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, the scripture says, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem on a donkey, that was prophesied, by the way, in the Old Testament, that that was how the king was going to come to Israel. And so people were really excited and they were laying down palm branches in their cloaks in front of the donkey and they were crying out. It says in Mark chapter 11, verse 9, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. What's happening here? They are praising Jesus. He has never been more popular than he is. It's just a week before the cross. And isn't that interesting? Just a week before the cross, the crowds are praising him and thinking that this is the king that has been prophesied and we're excited that he's here and we're glad to receive him. He's a man of principle. Jesus did not allow his head to be turned by the praise of the crowds and the masses. Jesus did not allow his thoughts to be changed from what his purpose is. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And he was going to stand by that principle no matter what the crowds did. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is a man of principle? Aren't you thankful that when the crowds started cheering that Jesus didn't start playing to the crowds? And continuing to get the accolades and the acclaim and the praise from the crowds? No, Jesus walked into the temple and he continued being who he was. He taught the truth. He taught God's truth in its fullness, in its boldness, in its plainness. I'm so thankful that our Savior is a man of principle. There are some convictions and principles that are worth dying for. And Jesus proves that. Who is Jesus? Look at Mark chapter 12 and verse 24. A lot of people think of Jesus as being sugary sweet. They think of him as being nice to everyone. But Jesus is a man of stern rebuke. 
There were times when Jesus spoke very boldly to people and rebuked them and told them, you're wrong and you don't know the scriptures very well. Watch this. The Sadducees had concocted this this story about a woman who had seven husbands and they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they said, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 12, verse 24, is this not the reason you are wrong? I like the New King James there. You are therefore greatly mistaken, he says. You do not know the scriptures, neither do you know the power of God. You want to talk about a rebuke? He's talking to educated men. He's talking to people that knew their Bibles. And yet when they ask this question about the resurrection and they they make up this story because they think they've got Jesus trapped, you're greatly mistaken. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God, Jesus says. He's a man of stern rebuke. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 27 and verse 5 that open rebuke is better than secret love. I'm fascinated by that. It's better to say what people need to hear in a, in a kind way, but in a direct way. It's better to rebuke somebody openly than to love them secretly. Jesus could be a man of stern rebuke. When people were playing with the scriptures and they were twisting the scriptures to their own destruction, Jesus had no problem saying, you're wrong and you need to repent. That's our Savior. Look at Mark chapter 13, the last passage in the chapter. Who is Jesus? What's he like? He's a man of vigilance. A man of vigilance. Here's what he says. Mark 13 verse 37. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Watch, some of your translations might have. He's talking about his return. He's talking about the second coming mixed in with a passage, a number of passages that deal with the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's telling his disciples and he's telling all of us, keep alert, watch, pay attention. You do not know the hour when your Lord will return. You do not know the time when this world will come to an end. So keep watching, stay awake, be vigilant. That's who Jesus is. You know, there's a temptation that all of us face to get into our ruts and our routines and our plans and our resolutions and to, to take those things and, and make those the focus of our lives. And God says, there's nothing wrong with making plans, but when you make plans, you say this, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. James chapter four, verses 13 through 15. When you think about the future, think about the fact that you don't know what the future holds, nobody does, and keep watching and keep working and keep looking. The scripture tells us that when we become Christians that we turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians chapter one, verses nine and 10. We have been saved to wait and to watch for our Lord's return. Be alert, stay awake, Jesus says. He's a man of vigilance. Watchfulness, not going to sleep. Don't go to sleep in your soul. Don't go to sleep in your spiritual life. Don't let your life become your spiritual life, your life that relates to God. Don't let it become humdrum and and, and monotonous and, and thoughtless. Don't let your life become like that. Be vigilant, stay awake. In Mark chapter 14, what's Jesus really like? He's a man of discernment. Perhaps the most tragic story in the entire Bible is the story of Judas. Judas who spent three and a half years with the very Son of God and listened to him teach daily, saw his miracles, 
even went and preached about the kingdom himself in passages like Matthew chapter 10. Judas did those things. And yet Judas ended up betraying his master, betraying the Lord. Here's what Jesus says about the life of Judas. The son of man goes as it is written of him, Mark 14, 21. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. Listen to these words. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Can you imagine Jesus saying that about someone? Would have been better if he had never been born than to do what he's doing with his life. Jesus is a man of discernment. Can I ask you a frank question? If Jesus looked at your life, which he is, and if Jesus was discerning about your life, which he is, would he say, the way you're living and the choices you're making would have been better if you'd never been born? The Son of God is a man of discernment. He wants all to come to him, but to continue in sin and to persist in things that we know are wrong and that we know do not please God and to persist in those things with reckless abandon would have been better for that man if he'd not been born. Look at Mark chapter 15, look at verse one. Jesus, our savior, the son of God in the flesh, incarnate. He was a man who could be bound. Did you ever stop and think about that? He's a man that could be bound. Look at what the scripture says. Mark 15, one. As soon as it is morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, and they led him away, and they delivered him over to Pilate. We sing that song sometimes, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Jesus actually said that was the case in Matthew 26. He could call 12 legions, which is more than 10,000 incidentally. And Jesus, if he had so chosen, could have delivered himself at any moment from what was happening to him, but he allowed himself to be bound. Isaiah says it this way, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to allow people to bind his hands and to lead him away and to put him in front of Pilate and then Herod and then Pilate again and then allow the soldiers to mock him and scourge him and spit on him and then be carried away with a cross to die. He didn't have to do any of that. Who is this Jesus that we serve and worship and follow? Who is this Jesus that we have allowed to be the Lord of our lives? He's a man who could be bound. I remember hearing a preacher of yesteryear, big influence in my life, say this. We bind the hands of Jesus still today. We can bind the hands of Jesus by bad attitudes. We can bind the hands of Jesus by being stingy and not being giving. We can bind the hands of Jesus by trying to manipulate other people into doing what we want. We can bind the hands of Jesus by keeping our mouths shut and remaining silent when we ought to open them and tell the good story, the good news. We ourselves can bind the hands of Jesus and he is a man who could be bound, but make no mistake, one day all will give an account of what we've done with our lives. Second Corinthians five verses 10 through 14. 
And finally, as we think about what is Jesus really like, look at Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Who is Jesus? Brothers and sisters and friends, he's a man of compassion. A man of compassion. Before I read these words, I want you to think of what Jesus had been through. All that I just described, they had nailed him to the cross. He still had nail prints in his hands and his feet. He still had a wound in his side in his resurrected body. And as he stood with his apostles and talked to them about what's next, Jesus, who had been nailed to a cross and left until he died, said these words. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You will not find more compassionate words anywhere in scripture than those. Because even though we murdered the son of God, we humankind, even though we took the precious gift that God sent to this world and we treated it like garbage, even though we did that with Jesus, he came back and he said, I still want to forgive you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He cried from the cross. Luke 23, verse 34. He's a man of compassion. And you know what? If you want, if you desire, he'll have compassion on you. Even tonight, he wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants you to repent and to believe and to be baptized. He wants you to have a relationship with God because of what he has made possible on the cross. I'm so thankful for everything the Bible teaches about Jesus. And let me just say this as we close. Be careful in our lives. Let's all be careful about making Jesus one-dimensional, about making what we know about Jesus all about one or two of these aspects that we've looked at or even others that we find elsewhere in Scripture. Let's take everything the scripture says about our wonderful savior and let's praise God for who he is. And let's allow Jesus to be the example and the model and the savior of our lives. If we can help you obey the gospel, won't you come all together we stand and while we sing.